Hello and welcome to the special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. I'm Father Adam Potter. Today we reflect on the ninth letter. If we could title it, we could title it Pleasures, but it has everything to do with how Screwtape wants to now advise Wormwood on how to attack his patient in these moments of troughs or valleys or lows. Get him while he's down is the is the mentality, which is brutal, right? Because um, it's hard enough to fall, um, whether it's into sin or just even just being in a low place, whether it's a period of desolation in our prayer or maybe in relationships or maybe just emotionally, psychologically, we're just, we're low, we're low. And the evil one would come after us in these moments. Yeah, absolutely, right? Be on guard. Because... As we talked about in our last letter, these highs and lows, these peaks and valleys, in the, the spiritual life on a human level, aren't bad in, in and of themselves. Now, if we're falling into troughs because of, because of sin, that's a different situation. But just because we're at a low place, it's, that's human right? To be human is to be in time and that is to change. And so, yeah, how does the evil one want to come in and to attack us? That's what we're going to get in, get into. So why are these attacks so effective in the trough periods? Well, screw tape says the attacks in times of desolation are nice because his defenses are low and it's especially sensual temptations and even more particularly of sexual nature, are excellent attacks because, quote, the man's whole inner world is drab and cold and empty, end quote. Therefore, it is much more likely to grab his attention and be drawn into a perversion. I think we can appreciate why it would be more likely to grab his attention. He's, um, he's low, he's drab is, is the word. I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> like, hmm, there, there's something that, that sparks my attention. But why perversion? Why would someone be inclined to pervert these sensual temptations? And I think it has everything to do with the fact that our sexuality is meant to be a reminder that we're made for love. That we're made to be a gift to another. If in a time of dryness I experience sexual temptation... There can be an easy move to turn inwards on myself. That could even include being with someone else, right? That I would not use my sexuality as an opportunity to make an authentic gift of myself, but to gratify my desires by using somebody else. Consider the opposite. In moments of consolation or peaks, there's a greater likelihood of being drawn out of oneself, falling in love. And that same point was made with alcohol, In a time of consolation or a peak, the move is to merriment with friends. But in a time of desolation, the move inwards toward drunkenness is easier when he's in adenine, dull, and weary. Adenine, I had to look that up. It's one who's not likely to provoke dissent or offense. He's inoffensive and often deliberately so. So... (laughs) Um, if you're less likely to be offensive, then, then you're going to be more likely to go along with, Oh, here's this temptation to drink or overeat or 
pleasure. Listen to what St. Paul says. I found this helpful to consider the the remedy or kind of the, the encouragement in it all. St. Paul says to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 10, verses 13 to 14, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, right? They're all common, these temptations. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that good news? We need to remember that. That whatever temptation comes, especially of a sensual kind of desiring to satisfy our flesh, it's not uncommon. It's not a totally unique attack that God sees you and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength. And if anything, he'll allow you to find a way out so you can remain faithful. Here, this next part as we move along through this letter is one of the key points that C.S. Lewis, he does this in a number of his writings, is so insightful and good for us to really take to heart. He says, quote, Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. At the same, or sorry, all the same, if it It is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to reduce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. End quote. So, wow. First, maybe just to get your reaction, right? Is that how you view pleasure? (laughs) Do you see it as a gift from God? Something that he made? Something that demons with all of their, um, what do you call it? Inventions or research haven't been able to produce one pleasure. They all come from God. There may be a false view of pleasures in our humanity that it feels that if it feels good, then it might be a sin. And this could give us a wrong view of pleasure. God made it and he actually made activities to be pleasurable so that we would do it. And in our hedonistic culture, it starts to sound wrong, right? Our hedonistic culture is one that operates on a principle of pleasure as being the sole motivation for everything. So what is pleasurable is good, says our hedonistic culture, and what is painful is bad. Have you ever noticed how we call pain and suffering evil? This is weird. It's a weird effect of hedonism. Suffering does not have a moral quality. It's not evil in itself. If anything, we know with Christ it can be redemptive. But what does that mean, that Satan cannot create one pleasure? It reveals that his only moves are to distort what God has created as good. So maybe just to talk about a little bit, I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but how can we get pleasures wrong? First of all, we can get pleasures wrong by objectifying a person, someone else, or even oneself. So anytime that you're objectifying another person, not seeing the other in their subject, 
with infinite value and dignity and worth than we're using them for pleasure. Another way is not using the activity in the way it was designed or intended. God allowed us to enjoy sweet things. But if I instead desire to eat the whole chocolate cake as opposed to just the one slice, then I'm not using that gift of delight in food in the way that God intended it to be. And I'm going to have a stomach ache. (laughs) A third way is seeking pleasure for itself as an end, kind of related to objectifying the person. But more broadly speaking, so as opposed to the activity or the person as the end, and the pleasure can be a natural fruit or byproduct. You see what I mean? So have you ever noticed how it's really hard to get pleasure whenever you're seeking it for itself? It's like, okay, everybody, we're going to play this game and we're doing it because we're going to have fun, have fun, enjoy, right? Enjoy it. And you're like, oh, like I just want to play, right? No, it's actually by playing the game that you can laugh and have fun not because you're trying to get the pleasure of the game, but because it's the fruit of it or a byproduct. So we can't seek the pleasure for itself. It has to come just out of the activity. Okay, here's the next move of screw tape. He says, move him away from authentic pleasure to something less natural. Quote, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It is more certain in its better style. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what really gladdens our father's heart. End quote. Okay, when I first read this, I felt my heart drop to my stomach. How true is this description and how sorrowful I feel for those who pursue pleasure for its own sake and get less and less out of it until they have given their entire selves over to this lifestyle and there's no enjoyment in it. And how sad. Here's a good lie to identify, right? We need to identify these lies so we could, that we can know the truth. And I hear this a lot. Maybe you too. Maybe you've said it before. There's this lie that those who are apart from God are having a lot more fun than those who are following God. Have you ever heard or believed that lie? I can't tell you how many young people I hear who will say, I know it's wrong, but it's so hard not to think that if I just gave in, then I'd be able to enjoy all these things that right now the church is telling me that I can't. Here's the reality. The reality is that apart from God's law, there's less and less joy and pleasure and happiness. I think we see this. Um, just by way of example, I don't, have you ever noticed how, for example, with sexual promiscuity, there isn't this satisfaction, right? There always has to be more and more partners or more and more deviances or more and more acknowledgements and exceptions and celebrations from the world to celebrate everything that I'm doing, everything, right? Like if this was something that was actually satisfying, Why would there always need to be more? And why would those actions and lifestyles need to be celebrated? It actually proves that it's not actually satisfying as opposed to the true way that God intended it to be enjoyed. Do we believe that on the opposite end? So not only that living apart from God's law, these pleasures don't actually 
uh, deliver. But do we believe that by following God's law, we're able to actually enjoy life even more and get even more pleasure out of life? So how about this? Can we actually say that the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph were the ones who experienced life at the highest level? That as they were completely given over to God's will, they experienced the greatest of earthly pleasure. I don't know how that sounds to you. That St. Joseph had the greatest of earthly pleasure. Mary, the greatest of earthly pleasure. If that sounds dirty to you at all, can we ask the Lord just to cleanse and purify our our mindset of, of pleasure? The Lord made it. It is good. And the more that we're given over to him, the more that we can enjoy it and experience the fullness of life, not only here, but forever in the world to come. Okay, here's another line that really jumped out to me. Screwtape says, talk to him about, quote, moderation in all things, end quote. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, You can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing, end quote. Okay, we've kind of talked about this earlier, but do we see that in our church today? (laughs) Right? Do we see that? Um, This mentality seems to have permeated our church culture such that most people will believe for it to apply to them, whatever this church teaching is or whatever this moral principle, it has to be reasonable. It has to be convenient and not too burdensome. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said it that way is kind of the the weird justification. The reality is that Jesus Christ demands everything, all of us. And that doesn't mean going into a monastery or convent for everyone, but it does mean that the faith has to permeate everything that I do. Hopefully, you know, C.S. Lewis isn't just making this up. In John's writing of the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says this, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew, literally vomit you out of my mouth. Oh, so the evil one rejoices whenever we say all things in moderation, whenever we try and make the discipleship, the way of following Jesus reasonable and not too burdensome. It's like it is, but with Jesus, his yoke is sweet and his burden is light friends. Okay. Now to the last tactic that Screwtape offers. It's in the fourth paragraph, and it is a direct attack on this patient's faith. Three things. First, get him to think that the trough, this low point, is permanent, that there's no end in sight. Second, get him to speak about his faith as just being a phase. And third, don't let him ask objective questions like, but is it true? Remember that line from letter four? He said, our best work is done by keeping things out of the mind. So don't let him ask, is it true? So this is back to the very first letter where Screwtape makes it clear that the battle cannot be won through argument or reasoning. 
allowed to be jargon. <laughs> Those approaches bring the battle to God's side. So questions about whether or not the faith is true, is the church really the bride of Christ, are the sacraments actually fonts of grace, etc., these are all questions the devil does not want the faithful to ask. So what do we need to do? We need to ask these questions, especially when we're at times of desolation at these low valleys and against a desire to verify what's true based solely on my own experience. It's like, I know, but I'm struggling, but I'm suffering, but I don't feel God's presence or I've been going to confession and doesn't seem to be working or I receive Holy Communion and I don't feel anything or I don't experience any consolation. The better question is whether or not it's true. So in times of desolation, I think we need to make an act of faith. Have you ever just started preaching to yourself as if you believed? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a fake it till you make it. No, but like, but the faith is in us through baptism. Faith is in us. And so that we might be able to say to ourselves, no, remember about the story of the fall, about how disobedience and not trusting in God has brought us to this dreadful place. But then remember how God, in desiring to get us to trust him again, how he sent patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets, and finally sent his own son to show us who he is and that he's trustworthy. Then you can go on, right? Remember how he brought a whole church together, his disciples, and said, who sins you forgiven are forgiven, and how he entrusted them that whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then now for 2,000 years, we've had disciples, apostles, bishops, and priests who have been preaching the same Jesus Christ, allowing through the sacraments for faithful to have access to Jesus Christ, despite their feelings, despite their circumstances and the sufferings, that they can know that Jesus Christ is real because he said in his own words, know that I am with you always until the end of the world. And it's in preaching this that we can remind ourselves of what is true and what is real. And it, there's this amazing thing, because I do this to myself. I start to believe. And then I start to come to an act of faith, that this faith can start to grow within me. And it's not that reality has changed, but I've changed. I've come closer in conformity to Jesus Christ and to make this act of faith. This is, um, you remember Screwtape saying, is when his, um, what is it? What is it? His empire is at its end, is at its bleakest. Whenever the person looking out at the dreariness of life and seeing no reason, no sign of God, and no reason to believe, still chooses to obey, our kingdom is at its end. So, this is us. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, let's close as we do with a prayer asking the protection of St. Michael. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. So good to be with you. Um, keep going, stay strong, keep reading and rereading. Um, I just want to thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. Let's keep praying for one another on this journey into the spiritual life, appreciating the spiritual battle so that we might be fortified in God's grace and mercy.
God bless you. I'll see you next time.